Well, good morning, church. Uh, really pleased that you're tuning in today on this Sunday. Thank you, worship team, for your ministry. You guys are such a blessing to us. And um, yeah, just thank you for the way you serve us as a body. And it's great to have new people in the room today. One person you didn't see was Sam. Sam, jump on camera just quickly. Come on, Sam. Oh, there he goes. Okay, can you do that, Richard? Yeah, fire to that video. Here's Sam, a good friend of Pastor Jake and Sophie. There he goes. Amazing. What a good-looking man he is. And if you're single and female today, you could just text 01202805683. Oh, this is awkward. So, welcome to Sunny Hill, Sam Mead. Oh, there we go. Um, so today we're starting a new series and we're buzzing about it. I believe that this series uh, is something that God's been working into my thinking over the last few weeks, particularly as we've come through a series of prayer. And I do believe that this series actually really matters. Sometimes you may think we just preach for the sake of it and we come up with series and cool titles just to kind of draw a crowd. But let me tell you this, I believe that this series is prophetic and I believe it's going to speak into the day in which we're living right now. And we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks the theme of holiness and what it means to be Holy Joe, okay? I mean, you've heard of Average Joe, I'm sure of that. It's a, it's, a, it's a kind of phrase coined in the USA, which just speaks to kind of the normal people, the normal, standard, ordinary person, Average Joe, okay? And we're not sexist, so if you're a female, just take the E off the name and go Holy Joe, okay, or Average Joe. But the truth is, is we believe that Holy Joe isn't called to be average. We actually believe that Holy Joe is so called to be extra ordinary. Now, the reason this matters is simply because, let's just be honest for a moment, okay? If ordinary is the pursuit, if the world's normal is the pursuit, let me say this, that it isn't working. Like, it's just not working. Like, if capitalism was going to provide freedom, then it's come up miserably short. If um, sexuality was going to bring freedom and a sense of kind of purpose, then it's come up miserably short. If consumerism or even gender selection was going to tick those boxes of that sense of, yeah, I know who I am, then it's coming up miserably short because actually we don't want the world's normal. We are called to be fundamentally different as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And so maybe today you don't know Jesus as your saviour yet. And I say yet because we're going to give you an invitation to receive him later on this morning in the message. But if you don't know Jesus as your saviour yet, then I want to say this, is there's another way. There's another way. There's another way to everything you've ever known. If you've thought that life was about the pursuit and the achievement of success or the pursuit of wealth and filling up your bank balance or the pursuit of girlfriends, boyfriends, let me tell you this, there is another way. All of those things cannot deliver that sense of worth and belonging that you are longing for in your heart of hearts. And so today, I've got the privilege of just presenting you another way, yeah. presenting you another option, yeah. an option that we call holiness. Now, holiness is kind of one of those old terms, isn't it? It just sounds old. It's one of those things that we don't talk about a lot in church. It's just like, you know, the holiness of God. It's, um, and we were really intentional with the worship set this morning to declare that he is holy because it's something that we sing or have sung in the past, but not something we always really understand the implications of what does it mean to worship a holy, holy, holy God. And so uh, this morning, we're going to go after that. And I subtitled this message originally, Cutting a New Path for the Future. But the more I was prayerfully considering the message this week, I was thinking, like, God was saying to me, Dom, this isn't a new path. <laughs> this isn't a new thing. It's not like God's just, oh, I've got a better idea. Actually, this is an 
path. And I love this passage. Check this out in Jeremiah 6, 16. This was after the people of God uh, have been kind of uh, in rebellion and they're kind of just lost in the wilderness. And this is what God says through his prophet Jeremiah. Check this out in 6, 16. He says, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Now, let me tell you this, church. I do believe that we are at a crossroads. I do believe that we are at a junction where we need to make a different decision about what we're going to do coming out of this season. And I I don't think it's too dissimilar to what we see Jeremiah speaking to the people because actually I think there are a lot of believers right now in the wilderness, just existing in this moment rather than thriving in this moment. And I think just like God speaks his oracle to the people through Jeremiah, says this is what the Lord says, stop at the crossroads and look around. Sometimes it's easy to just keep going day by day by day, just one foot in front of the other, to just keep going, foot on the gas, to just keep going and going and going. But let me tell you this, that this pandemic and this time of lockdown has created an opportunity for stopping and resetting for reflection, for considering, hey, am I really doing, am I really going about life in the right way? Is this everything that God intended for me to be as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus? Is this really all that God had in mind when he laid down his life on the cross? And I believe believe we are at a crossroads right now. And look what Jeremiah says, what God says through Jeremiah. And if you're not taking notes right now, go and get your pens and pads because I need you to capture this this morning. God says to the people, ask for the old godly way ask for the old godly way and walk in it travel its path and you will find rest for your souls your soul is weary your soul is tired your soul is burnt out and maybe you think that the next new thing is going to provide the rest that you're looking for but let me tell you it's not a new thing you need it's an old thing you need something that precedes your existence and something that precedes the existence of the earth itself. Ask God for the old path, the old godly way. Travel in it and you will find rest for your souls. In another translation, we read this. The Lord said to his people, you are standing at the crossroads, so consider your path. Ask where the old reliable paths are. Ask where the path is that leads to blessing and follow in it. And if you do, you will find rest for your souls. If you don't know Jesus this morning, let me tell you, he has made you a person with a soul. He's made you a person with this internal reality where you can encounter and experience the peace of God. And most people go through life who don't know Jesus trying to fill that inner void and that inner space with something that can never, ever, ever provide that sense of purpose and belonging. And so if you're looking for that rest today... God's saying to us, ask where the old path is, the old reliable path that leads to blessing, prosperity, peace and comfort and walk in it. That's what God was saying to the people, uh, to his people during this time. But look at their response. It's shocking, right? But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. That's your reply. No, that's not the road we want. And so this morning, let me use this as a, as a power, powerful moment, as a moment of encounter to say, church, friends, brothers and sisters, people who don't know Jesus but are tuning in this morning, listen, there's an opportunity for you today to go a new way, but it's not a new way. It's an old way. There's a new path for you to walk, but it's not a new path. It's an old path. And as you commit to it, heart and soul, it will lead to blessing and peace and the rest that you are looking for. I see the suicide rate 
climbing all the time because people just can't find the rest that they know they need on the inside. They can't find the mental peace that they're looking for. They can go through counseling. They can sit through um, all sorts of self-help sessions. But ultimately, the only way we can discover that peace is to look to Jesus, is to look to the holy, is to look to God who is holy and walk in that path of holiness. A couple of years ago, uh, I was jogging and we were on holiday with the in-laws and uh, we go to Cornwall like once or twice a year. We love Cornwall, so Wilf, we love the fact that you're on placement with us. You're kind of, me and you are just the same. We're, we look the same age and we just, uh, I know we do. We could be twins, me and Wilf, but you know, we're so lean and young looking, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> we, can say, we can share wardrobes, I mean, granted, my normal shirt might look like a leotard on him, but that's all good. But um, I was running this path and there was this uh, moment... You can see it on the screen behind me, a, a bench that overlooked the ocean. And it was, a, it was a good vista. It was a good view. And there was lots of people there. Uh, but really, the path was kind of wide. And it had been trodden down by the council who had put gravel there to make the pathway easy to this view, to this vista. But as I was jogging, I noticed that there was actually a really steep mound behind this bench that probably went up about another 80 to 100 feet, but there was no obvious path up the mound, right? There was no bench. The, the council hadn't created a wide path to jog up there. But I thought, I know that there's going to be a better view up there. So I, I was looking around the bottom, and eventually I found an old path. I found an old path, but this path hadn't been used, I'm guessing, for a long time because the grass had grown and the weeds and the nettles had kind of overcovered the path. But I could see just the makings of this old path that probably a few years ago, before we were so lazy in Britain, they used regularly to get amazing views. And so I committed to this path, and it was hard work because it was much steeper than it looked. And I was getting nettle stung, and I, I was kind of just treading down long grass because I wanted to get up to this hill. And it took me longer. You know, my, my Fitbit wasn't really appreciating the hard yards I was doing because, according to it, my kilometer rate had just slowed down dramatically. But when I got there, the view was incredible. Like literally, I was looking down thinking, why are these people, why are they just content to live and just look at that view from that bench when there's this vista waiting for them up here? And I believe that this is a picture of the holy, the pursuit of holiness. The pursuit of holiness, it isn't a wide path. It's not a path that is really obvious all the time. It's not a path that multiple people are walking, so therefore it's easy to follow. And Actually, the path is hard. The path is steep. The path is narrow. And there is resistance to committing yourself to the journey. But let me tell you this. If you pursue holiness, and if you stand at the crossroads today and say, God, I'm going to pursue that old path, let me tell you this. There is immense reward in store for you. Because let me just say again, if you didn't get it the first time, the world's way is not working. It's just simply not working working. And so there's this reset moment, okay. So it's time to recover the old way of holiness. It's kind of interesting in the scriptures, and this is a side note, but it's important, so capture notes, that uh, in the same way when we're writing, we, we do exclamation marks and we do underlinings. Like, if we want to make a point, we say in the social media channels, if you want to be seen, go in capitals, right? Caps lock that bad boy and shout into the chat room to make sure that we see it, right? Because we have a way of getting a point over through the way that we write. Well, the people who wrote the Bible did exactly the same thing. They would use kind of grammatical things like that. But they also had something that they called verbal repetition. 
In other words, when they were trying to make a point, they would say it once or twice. Right? They would say it twice. And there's two sorts of repetition that we see in the scriptures. There's a repetition that is like a thematic repetition. So, for example, you might see Paul say something early on in Romans and come back to it towards the end of Romans. And you can see, oh, Paul really wants the church to get a hold of this, what he's teaching right now. But then there's another kind of verbal repetition in the scriptures. And this does connect, and it is important, where the two words or statements come back to back. And, and basically, in Greek, it means to be yoked. It's like two words that are yoked together to just really drive home a point. So, for example, we see this in the Gospel of John. Because in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus sometimes says, uh, Verily I say unto thee, according to the King James, because I am well versed in the King James. <laughs> Obviously, because thou is a legend. Oh, no. How do I say me? Thou? Thee. Thee is a legend. Okay. Thee is a... Don't worry about it, okay? Just Google it. Let us know what, how I would say I am a legend in the King James legend. And please write it in the I social media. I is a legend. Boyakasha. <laughs> but, but this idea that like Jesus in the Gospel of John, like 25 times says verily or truly back to back. Like truly, truly. Or verily, verily or really, really. It's really interesting when you unpick that word because actually the root of that word comes from the word amen. So Jesus is saying, amen, amen, right? Amen, amen, he says, before Abraham was, I am. Like, I love this idea that Jesus proceeds his statement with a double amen. Like, it's our custom, isn't it, in the church to follow a sentiment of truth with an amen, or a good prayer with a sense of amen, but Jesus wasn't waiting for the disciples to affirm the word that he was saying. He's like, what do you think, boys? Does that wash with you? Like, he, he didn't preach that. So he says, amen, amen, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And, and says multiple things, and you can find it, I think it's around John 6. So interesting, because Jesus in that moment was emphasizing this point that I'm about to say, it really matters. It really matters. Take special Note, okay. Now, just lodge that in your mind for a moment because we will come back to that in a minute. But I just want to talk to you about King Uzziah. King Uzziah is a king in the Old Testament who reigned for 52 years. And on the whole, he was a, he was a fairly good king. He was kind of like liked by the people because really he pursued God and, and God's holiness. And we actually read this in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 4. We read, He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight just as his father, Amaziah, had done. Verse 5, this is 2 Chronicles 26. Uzziah sought God during the day of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God, and as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. Okay, so just capture that for a moment. Make a note of that. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 4. Uzziah did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. And as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. And you can see the legacy of Uzziah, because when he was really going after God, the whole people under his kingship flourished. We see actually he fortified the walls of Jerusalem. He dug hundreds of wells in the desert. Livestock flourished under his care. Agricultural kind of stuff flourished under his care. They won countless battles against Gentile enemies. And really under Uzziah's reign, when he was pursuing God, there was blessing that flowed from it. But then we see this just a few verses later in verse 16. Check this out. This is kind of scary. 
But when he, or Uzziah, had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord, his God, by what? Committing murder? No. Like going crazy adulterous? No. Even by kind of becoming idolatrous? No. This is how he sinned against the Lord. By entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. Does anyone else think that's harsh? Like Uzziah had this kind of great rule and reign season where things prospered under his rulership. But the Bible is quite clear. It says that he got to a place where he became a bit too familiar. Where he comes into the temple and it looks on paper like it's a good thing, like he's bringing an offering. But the problem is, is that it wasn't his offering to bring. The priests were there. God had instituted a holy system that would do the offerings on behalf of the people. But yet King Uzziah thought, I don't need the priests anymore. I can do this myself. And so what we see in this passage in 2 Chronicles 26, it scares me so much, is that he's kind of the priests confront him on this and they say, King, what are you doing? And, and it says in the scriptures that he gets furious. He's so angry on the inside. Um, but before he can open his mouth, he gets struck with leprosy. And literally from that point on, he's in decline and he lives in isolation and he lives in separate accommodation until the day he dies. Like, this is a hard word. But, but I wonder if this is kind of a picture of the nation as we see it now. That like the United Kingdom or even America in this case, built on biblical foundations, biblical values, that when they were pursuing God as a state, saw blessing and provision and protection. But now we've got so familiar as a nation, we seem to be so keen on driving God out of schools, on driving God out of education, on driving God out of society, rejecting truth in order to pursue freedom or liberation, which ultimately leads to, world freedom leads to greater bondage and captivity, right? And, and in all of this, I just think there's a sense. Now, I know we're in the new covenant, and I know things are different now, but I think it's important that we understand the weight of what it means. When you pursue God, people around you who you love, they win. When you pursue God, your household is blessed. Right? I believe that. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's always making the easy decisions because sometimes pursuing God puts you at odds with the way of the world. In fact, it often does, which means you become unpopular, which means you become hated on social media. Sometimes I get some shocking social media responses to stuff because ultimately the world is rejecting truth all the time. But this old path, this old way of holiness that Uzziah demonstrated leads to breakthrough and blessing. So, So... from the bottom of my heart, I want to say to you, don't be average. Don't be average. Don't be ordinary. Don't pursue normal. It doesn't work. Don't pursue popularity. Pursue the holiness of God. So what is it about holiness? Well, we've just learned about King Uzziah, and maybe that will add a bit of context to a well-known verse that kind of we read quite regularly in the church. He says this in Isaiah 6, God raises up a prophet because the people of Judah are in rebellion. 
And it says this in chapter 6, verse 1. It won't be on the screen, this verse. It says, it was in the year King Uzziah died. As Isaiah is kind of having this vision of this heavenly temple, this is the year that King Uzziah died. This king that had once brought um, prosperity to the nation of Israel. That I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah speaking, and I believe this is a vision. Okay, it's a heavenly vision. He says, I saw the Lord, and he was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And it speaks of the majesty and the vastness of God. Like, I've watched some um, old footage of the Queen's coronation, and she had quite a long train. She had a few people helping, but this is nothing like God's train of his robe. Like, literally, it fills to the limit the temple in which he dwells. Verse 2, Attending God were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they flew. Right? And it's kind of crazy because we can't really relate to this kind of celestial being uh, detail. We're like, we've never seen anything like this. But there is some form of heavenly creature that exists that day and night is just ministering to God. Okay? And we read in other scriptures like angels that are messengers and we, we see them now and again like when Gabriel comes to Mary to tell her about the Savior that she's carrying in her womb. Right? But we see this. These seraphim, these ministering beings, please track with me. And it says this in verse 3. They were calling out, Holy, Holy Holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Holy, holy, holy. A few minutes ago, we spoke about the way Bible writers, with verbal repetition, like use two words back to back to make a point. Verily, verily, truly, truly. Amen, amen, this is what I say. But in this moment, these celestial beings that are ministering to God, this is what they're declaring in Isaiah's vision. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, or is the Lord of heaven's armies. In this moment, this is like the only attribute of God that is given, like raised to the third degree of repetition. They don't say loving, 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 right? And they don't say kind, kind, kind. Like, this is the challenge, is holy, Hallmark, has no copyright entitlement to the word holy, right? They can't make cards about holiness, right? And they can't make poems and sentiments about holiness because it's, they just don't get it because holy, holy is, is so much higher than our earthly kind of perspective that these seraphims are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, now, what does it mean if God wants you to know that he's holy, so much so that he tells you three times? Happens in Revelation as well. At the end, holy, holy, holy. Well, holiness, we know, means really, and this is often the way we use it, it means to be righteous or right standing. But obviously God is righteous and right standing with himself. I mean, he's God, right? But actually at the heart of the term holy, if you look back at the original text, it means this, okay? And if you don't know this, this is going to blow your mind. And if it doesn't, I don't know what to say, right? It simply means... I've set it up now, haven't I, for an epic fail. Like, let's be honest. But basically it means this. Are you ready for this? It's such a complicated word. It means different. It means different. Just, just think about that for a moment. Angels appear in the vision to Isaiah. And essentially what they're saying is, 
different, different, different is the Lord of heaven's armies. Let me take you back to the introduction. The world's way is coming up short, so maybe it's time for something different, different, different. Everything you've ever known, different, different, different. You've never met anybody like this. You've never known anyone like this. You've never experienced anything like this. Because God is holy, holy, holy. He's different to the world. He's different to your spouse. He's different to your mom, to your dad, to the bullies at school. He's different to your friends who make snide remarks. He's different, different, different. And let me just say this, and we will get there, that if you don't know Jesus as your saviour today, let me tell you, he is different, different, different. Like so much so that to the third kind of degree and tier of repetition, God wants you to know, hey, hey, I'm different. I'm different. You've tried it your way, but let's try a different way. Yeah, that's why I love it when I think about the term Holy Spirit. Because we contend with the spirit of the world all the time. But why not the Holy Spirit, the different spirit? Yeah. The spirit that does different things in different moments because he's different. Like sometimes I think that's why when the Holy Spirit moves, weird things happen. Because it's different. It's different. Like we're limited by our carnality and our view as human beings so that when people move in the spirit, like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, it's different. Different, different, different. It's, it's the essence of who he is. It's the only attribute that we are told three times. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's so funny because in verse 4, check this out. In verse 4, Isaiah has this revelation. It says that their voices shook the temple to its foundations. So even the proclamation, even the proclamation of the holiness of God shakes the foundations of the temple, okay? And the entire building was filled with smoke. That's why I love smoke machines at church. I love it, right? <laughs> Capture some of this vision, okay? Verse 5, then I said, this is Isaiah speaking, okay? And this is really interesting. Then I said, it's all over. It's all over. I'm doomed. I'm done. Or like in some translations, I'm undone. In other words, like I'm coming apart at the seams, like the very fabric of my beings. I'm being unraveled now because I'm in the presence of the Almighty. I'm in the presence of the Holy. And he says, I'm doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have sinned the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this moment, church, right, Isaiah, this guy who's existed for some time and has walked with God for some time, I'm assuming, because this is Isaiah chapter 6. For the first time in Isaiah's life, he knows who God is. But also, for the first time in his life, he knows who he is. I think one of the challenges of our human condition is we compare the wrong direction. If I'm doing better than my neighbor, then I'm all good. That's not the standard. The standard we're pursuing here is one of godliness. It's an old path. And the path is covered. And it's overgrown because not many believers walk it, I think. But Isaiah in this moment becomes so aware of his dysfunction. And it's funny, isn't it? Because he says, I've got filthy lips. Yet what is the thing that God wanted to use? Isaiah's mouth. It's crazy. 
Like Isaiah has this revelation, man, I'm undone. Like my lips are filthy and the people around, their lips are filthy. And, and it's so interesting because the call on his life, the grace on his life is to bring the prophetic word of God to the people, to God's people. And so what do we see happen? We see this happen. Is it there? Oh, no, no. So we see this happen, that one of the seraphim flew to me, Isaiah, with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongues, and he touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Now, just get this understanding for a moment. Isaiah couldn't make his lips clean. He couldn't do it on his own. God knew he couldn't do it on his own. So it wasn't so much about Isaiah just trying a little bit harder. The seraphim, this ministering spirit of God, picked up this burning coal, a symbol of purification, and touches the very part of Isaiah that God wanted to use. And it's interesting because like a little while later, verse 8, we read this, then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And it's funny because a few verses later, Isaiah would never have said, I'll do it, because he was aware of how unholy he was in the presence of the holy, holy, holy. But since he undergoes this process of the guilt being removed, when God says, I need a messenger, whom can I send? Isaiah's like, here I am. Send me. Like, connected to his assignment was this process of forgiveness, guilt removal, and anointing that only God could do. Now, it's really important that we kind of just get that for a moment, and we are coming into land now. But I want to tell you this. I want to tell you, on the authority of God's word, right? First of all, I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> but ultimately, God wants you to be holy as he is holy. That's mind-boggling. He doesn't want you to be the same, same, same. He wants you to be different, different, different. He wants you to carry something of the image of God into the world that is on its knees right now. The world is struggling. The wheels have come off the wagon. It's messy out there. And the way that we bring about transformation to our cities, our towns, our streets isn't being overwhelmed by the problem. It's about having a revelation of who God is and then understanding that God invites me to take on that image to be different. I love this scripture. Check this. Jesus praying towards the end of his life with his disciples. John 17, verse 13. Check this out. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I've given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world. Okay, so Jesus is even kind of giving his disciples a heads up in prayer. The world's going to hate you, right? <laughs> but that's okay because you're not of this world, right? You're not supposed to be. You're not supposed to fit in. You're not supposed to be average. You're not supposed to be ordinary. You're not supposed to be normal. And Jesus prays this in verse 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Like, that's not the win here. The win isn't to come out of the world and just go to heaven. That's not the win. 
But he says, I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. Verse 16. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Just get that for a moment. Jesus, who was the Son of God incarnate, fully God, fully man, came by Holy Spirit conception. He didn't come into the world a normal way. Like a human mom and dad didn't conceive Jesus, right? It was the Holy Spirit coming, overshadowing Mary, that God incepted this child on earth. He didn't come about in the normal way. And Jesus is saying, hey, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. Verse 17, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Verse 18, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Now, just understand this. The context of the assignment to go and to be sent is understanding that you are invited to become holy. Jesus says, make them holy, like by your truth, because they're not of this world. They're as much a part of this world as I am a part of this world. And I'm nothing of this world. Like I'm, I'm God on earth. Like I'm fully God. And I'm inviting my disciples to take on that likeness, to be redeemed, to become holy, and then ultimately to be sent. Like holiness, mission, prayer, so entwined in the purposes of God. And in verse 19 we read, And I give myself, Jesus says, as a holy, a different sacrifice for them. So they can be made holy, different by your truth. So Hill, we're not called to be the same. We're just not called to be the same. I can see why there's instant reward to being the same. You can be liked, you can be popular. Popularity doesn't transform stuff. Being the same doesn't change the culture of the world. What changes stuff is as we embrace our God-given identity. This sense of holiness that only Christ can do for us. A holiness that is a work of redemption and atonement. That in this one moment, I'm a broken sinner like Isaiah, unable to help myself, but knowing that God wants to use me in some way, but coming into the, the, the shadow of the Almighty and receiving the removal of guilt and the forgiveness of my sins so that I can be sent. Because the goal of me being redeemed isn't just so that I can go to heaven, it's actually so I can go into the world to be sent. To be sent. As I knew that, whom shall I send? Here I am. Send me. It's a posture, it's an old path, but it's the one God's calling us to. And finally, 1 Peter 1. So there's this sense of holiness that is imputed by Christ. You can't make yourself holy. Only Jesus can do that for you. He's different sacrifice. He's the only one who can do it for you. But understand this in 1 Peter 1 verse 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy or be different in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy or different. Verse 16, for the scriptures say, you must be different because I am different. That's what God's saying. Be different. Be different. Because I am different. Be different. Be different because I am different. And with this I land. There's two burdens here of the word. And I just need to make sure you get them. 
There's a holiness that is received by faith in Christ. And it's a work of His grace and mercy. Right? You're not performing to get yourself saved. You're not performing or working harder to become more favoured by God. You're just either not saved or you are saved. You either are looking to Christ for salvation or you're not, okay? So you can put that right this morning by calling on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, it says, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, okay? So that's part one. Part two is this. Now he has made you holy. Prepare your minds for action. Now he has made you holy. Exercise self-control. Now he has made you holy. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Now he has made you holy. You must live as God's obedient children. Now he has made you holy. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Now he has made you holy. You didn't know any better then, but now you do. Verse 15. Now he's made you holy. You must be holy in everything. You, you see, there's, there's this reality of faith walk with Jesus that holy Joes just embrace. I'm not called to be average. I'm not called to be ordinary. I'm not called to be the same. I'm called to be different to the world. And I thank you, Jesus, that you will make me different. But I thank you, Jesus, that now I can walk out that difference in the world. And so right now, those who are at home who don't know Jesus, I'm going to invite you where you are to give your lives to Christ right now. And don't let this moment pass you by. There's an opportunity for you this morning to receive His forgiveness. And I love what it says to Isaiah. His guilt was removed. It wasn't just a case of the forgiveness of sins. It was actually the removal of the memory of them. Like all that baggage, insecurity, anxieties that precede Christ. I believe this morning that Jesus just wants to touch you figuratively with a burning coal and say, listen, listen, I'm going to do a work in you that you cannot do, but I'm going to change you from the inside out. I'm going to make you fit to survive and prosper and flourish in this moment, in this generation. And so if you want to give your life to Christ this morning, it's really easy. It's really straightforward. I just want to invite you to pray this prayer after me where you are at home, okay? Come into his presence right now and just say, Jesus, I need you. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you 2,000 years ago you sent your son for me. I thank you that Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a nice guy. But he was the redeemer. He was the saviour of the world. He was the one I've been looking for my whole life. And this morning, God, I invite Jesus to enter my heart. I repent of my sins. I repent of my wrongdoings. I repent of the ways that I haven't lived up to the image I've been made in. I say sorry, Lord. And I invite you, Jesus, to save me. To make me holy as God is holy. To make me different like Jesus is different. I give my heart to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, we want you to let us know. 
just let us know. Drop us an email to office at sunnyhill.church, office at sunnyhill.church, or text 01202 805683. If you've got Christian friends, why not text them now? Call them now and just say, I've just given my life to Christ, right? Just let them know so that they can get alongside you. And for those of you already saved, those already in the gang, <laughs> you know, when I first read that Jeremiah passage about crossroads, I thought of Blazing Squad. I'll meet you at the crossroads. Meet you at the crossroads. So church, you know, today we're at a crossroads. And I just want to pray for you that you would respond to this season right. That you would choose the path less traveled. That you would recover the old way of godliness and commit your future to pursuing him wholesale. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word that reveals truth to us. I thank you, Lord, that you are different to anything we've known and everything we've seen, God. I thank you, Lord, that today, God, you are calling your church to rise, to grow up, to become all that you intended us to become. A holy people, holy people who are holy like you, Lord. Father, I thank you, God, that you don't call us to be the same, but you call us to be different. And I thank you, God, that you call us not to be conformed to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So, God, I just come and I, I stand in that gap for every mind that is breaking under pressure, for every mind that is in turmoil, and every mind that is just isolated and feeling insecure, Lord. And I just speak on their behalf, Jesus, I give you my mind. Jesus, I give you my thought patterns. God, I give you my, my behavior. And I say, Father, would you renew it right now in Jesus' name that I would be transformed into the likeness of your Son, not conformed to the pattern of the world. And so, Father, we just invite you to do that now as we cry, holy, holy, holy. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand to our feet where we are right now and let's just give the Lord a round of applause.